0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, fears about the pandemic crippling the economy have been replaced by concerns about overheating in its recovery. What do economists want to hear out of the Federal Reserve's latest Open Market Committee meeting? Also this morning, if working from home is the new normal, cloud networks will be the way business gets done. But what security risks does that pose to companies that are ill-prepared? In our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning, the Great Commission instructs us to go and make disciples of all nations. But when was the last time you had that conversation with another person? And the countdown to warmer weather is on. Lifestyle expert Tara Wellington has what you need for a spring refresh for yourself and the whole family. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, March 17th, 2021.
1: WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for mostly sunny skies today and a high 66, partly cloudy tonight and a low 42. Logan's Irish Pub is encouraging people to grab a green face mask and join them for St. Patty's Day today. General Manager Clayton Atchison says the community has been supportive throughout the pandemic.
2: We absolutely
0: are in debt to the community around here. They really lifted us up when we just had carryout and we still were able to keep it afloat and the, the weekends downtown have been amazing everywhere downtown.
1: He says even though COVID restrictions will be in place and capacity will be limited, they still plan to have plenty of fun on St. Patrick's Day. Get more on our website. Ohio is expanding the eligibility for the COVID vaccine by a lot. Governor DeWine says those 40 and over can receive the COVID-19 vaccine beginning on Friday.
3: So it's just an imperative that we move as quickly as we can. This vaccine is still, or excuse me, this virus is still very, very, very much out there.
1: Then on March 29th, everyone 16 and older can be vaccinated. Last weekend, more than 2,000 doses were administered at a clinic at the University of Findlay, which was the largest clinic in Hancock County to date. Finley High School will be holding its first-ever Senior Promenade in May. Assistant Principal Christine Siebenek says that the event is very important for a senior class that didn't have a prom last year or a homecoming dance this school year. Just very excited for them to have the opportunity to make a memory and spend time together. She says the seniors-only event combines the glamour of prom while keeping the seniors safe and healthy during the ongoing pandemic. Get more on our website. The Ohio State Highway Patrol is urging people who will be celebrating St. Patrick's Day today with alcohol to designate a sober driver. The Highway Patrol says 18 people were killed in 14 fatal crashes on St. Patrick's Day over the last five years. Of those fatal crashes, seven were a result of impaired driving, resulting in 10 deaths. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Today,
0: in case you missed it, this is probably the big one. It is Campfire Girls Day. So (laughs) that's what you were thinking, March 17th. Um, it's Campfire Girls Day, uh, celebrating the youth development organization and their programs, many of which focus on outdoor activities. And of course, years and years ago, uh, Campfire opened their, uh, membership to both boys and girls, but originally it was Campfire Girls. So it's Campfire Girls Day. It is also Dr. Patient Trust Day. It is Take Down Tobacco National Day of Action. Take Down Tobacco National Day of Action today. It is uh Corn Beef and Cabbage Day and of course, yes, it is St. Patrick's Day as well. So there is there is that. Remember to wear green today. You remember when you were little and you went to went to school and if you didn't wear green, you'd get pinched? Did 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 they do that in every school or is that just mine? If you forgot to wear green on St. Patrick's Day, you got a little pinch. I don't know if you're even allowed to do that uh, these days. But uh, anyway, if somebody gives you a hard time, this is how I always got, a, uh, got away with that, if I forgot to wear green. Here's the secret. Uh, if somebody gives you a hard time for forgetting to wear green today, just tell them that your underwear is green. <laughs> I have yet to find anyone who will challenge me on that and ask me to prove it. So, That's your that's your workaround if you forget to wear green. But uh, you may wonder why the color green. Uh, How did that get such an association with the holiday? Okay, shamrocks and all of that. I get it. But this is kind of interesting. National Geographic says the original color of St. Patrick's Day was blue. Do you know that? Uh, the color green was adopted by St. Patrick's Day festivities back in the 18th century after the shamrock became Ire- Ireland's national symbol. Prior to that, the official color of St. Patrick's Day was blue. That's hard to imagine. Uh, of course, uh, Ireland's nickname, the Emerald Isle, contribu- contributed to that. Um, USA Today also says that green is associated with Irish nationalism after the divide between the Irish people and the British monarchy grew and the people of Ireland wanted to separate themselves from the British, they dropped the color blue and adopted the color green, because blue is in the Union Jack and green is not. As for leprechauns, they have their roots in Irish folklore and are likely based on Celtic fairies uh, that are known for stirring up magic and mischief, and that eventually led to the legend of leprechauns pinching people who didn't wear green on St. Patrick's Day. So there you go. uh, more than you ever wanted to know about St. Patrick's Day, I guess, uh, today. Uh, a couple of uh, interesting stories uh, on the newswire this morning, among the first things you need to know this morning. So we mentioned the stimulus payments, uh, latest round of stimulus payments are going out and may have shown up in your bank overnight. They did on mine. Uh Along those same lines, talking about green and money and and all of that, a new Amazon Ipsos poll out yesterday found a wide majority of Americans do support raising the federal minimum wage. Now, the same act, the same bill, the same law that gave you your stimulus payment also had originally a proposal to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. That was dropped. But still... 80% 80% of Americans say the current $7.25 an hour federal minimum wage is too low, and two-thirds actually support raising it to $15 an hour, according to this poll. Chris Jackson, Senior Vice President of Public Affairs at Ipsos, says 80% support for raising the minimum wage is a level of agreement that is practically unheard of in contemporary America, which is a, certainly a good point. Poll also showed that respondents do not think it should be on the federal government to raise the minimum wage 80 percent say large employers should pay uh, play a role and do it of their own volition uh, that is actually higher than the 73 percent who believe that politicians and policymakers should do it so kind of it a- uh, so anyway some of the other uh, interesting things among the first things you need to know this morning oh this is big news The American Kennel Club is out with their list of the most popular dog breeds in America. And the French Bulldog is now the second most popular purebred in the United States, just behind the Labrador Retriever. Uh, Frenchies were also recognized as the favorite purebred for pet owners in Los Angeles for the third year running. Breed is so popular that it has knocked the German Shepherd... Which held the second place position since 2009 uh, pushed that uh, the German Shepherd to third place, while the Golden Retriever, <coughs> excuse me, Golden Retriever and the Bulldog rounded out the top five. Uh, this is the 30th straight year, by the way, that the Labrador Retriever at the top of the list. So, kind of <coughs> excuse me, big big news there. Hi, as far as the, definitely one of the first things you need to know this morning. Uh, This is kind of interesting. Lawmakers in Utah have passed a proposal this month that would require all cell phones and tablets sold in that state to automatically block adult websites. They want a porn blocker built into the phone that is automatically enabled by default when a person gets a new phone now adults would be able to deactivate the filters but backers say the requirement is critical to help parents keep adult material away from their kids Uh, the uh, governor has not said whether he will sign the proposal he has until march 25th to make up his mind kind of interesting and by the way speaking of technology and kids you know it might be very tempting to give your toddler a smartphone or tablet to keep them occupied and calm them down if they're having a tantrum Uh, what parent has not done that uh, in the store parent grandparent we've all done that the kids are throwing a temper tantrum particularly in public in the store or something like that but here is something interesting a new study finds that doing so could actually make a tantrum worse. Researchers at BYU, which, incidentally, is in Utah, (laughs) with the story we were just talking about, but uh, researchers at Brigham Young University uh, looked at uh, toddlers between the ages of two and three and found that those who were being given electronic media to prevent a tantrum had more extreme emotions when that media was then taken away. Researchers advise parents to avoid using smartphones or tablets as their main strategy to curb tantrums, as giving them time and again uh, giving them those devices time and time again can make a child's reaction to have it having it taken away worse and worse. Instead, they advise taking the child aside and teaching them to manage their problematic emotions. Which As parents know, that goes so well with a two year old. (laughs) Anyway, they say that you should teach them to learn to regulate their emotions on their own over time. (laughs) I'm sorry, but when they're throwing a fit, pitching a fit in the store, you don't have (laughs) the, the time to allow them to regulate their emotions over time you want that tantrum to end right now so i can understand uh why uh, parents do that but they say you really shouldn't anyway uh some of the uh, more interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your wednesday morning started i don't know about you yesterday i was thinking yesterday was all all day i was thinking it was wednesday yesterday and i had to stop and reset my mind even just a moment ago there when i say get your wednesday morning started i don't know why i was thinking it was wednesday all day yesterday but i'll try not to mess that up today All eyes on the Federal Reserve today as the Open Market Committee wraps up its uh, March meeting. Bankrate.com Chief Financial Analyst Greg McBride joins us once again this morning. And Greg, I always get the image of Jerome Powell kind of like the groundhog. He pokes his head out, and if he sees his shadow, it's six more weeks of low interest rates. Um, (laughs) I don't know. That's just the the image that I get in my mind. But uh, in all seriousness, what he has to say this afternoon could be very consequential. Uh, which, of course, it always is, but even more so than usual, given what we have seen over the past uh, week or two in the markets.
4: Yeah, certainly, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it, yeah, we, we've seen a, a run-up in long-term interest rates, a couple of spurts since the beginning of the year, uh, but that's taken things like mortgage rates up almost half a percentage point. Uh, and so what, if anything, does the Fed do or say to, to corral that increase? Uh, they don't want to see those rates keep going up to the point where, uh, you see a sharp drop off in the ability for people to refinance and save money or, you know, slow the momentum that we're seeing in housing or even corporate debt issuance. Uh the other thing is the economic outlook is a whole lot better now yeah. than when they last met in January. I mean, it was only seven weeks ago, but, you know, boy, the uh, economic fortunes have certainly uh, changed in that period of time. Uh, But I expect that they're going to reiterate that uh, interest rates are going to stay low um, Mm -hmm. and that the labor market is really the key ingredient.
0: Yeah, it, it really is something. As we were talking about in the preview leading up to this segment, we went from fears about how badly the pandemic might cripple the economy a year ago to concerns about the economy overheating in the recovery today. Are those Concerns justified, we keep hearing that you know fears about uh, things overheating in this recovery is that justified? I mean I think it's
4: it, it, it's not without merit to worry about that uh, given the amount of, of, of stimulus that's out there, the amount of pent up demand. Uh, but I think the the bigger picture is more than twenty million people are still drawing uh, some form of unemployment compensation. long term unemployment is on the rise. And people have actually dropped out of the labor force. So there is a lot of, of, of slack out there that has to yet be absorbed before we get to the point where we think of this economy as overheating.
0: So we mentioned uh, inflation has been one of the buzzwords uh, you were talking about, you know, looking at the long term job market. Is there one metric above all others that the Fed is going to be watching to gauge the recovery? I mean, it would, would it be the job market? Would, be, would it be inflation? Would it be something else?
4: Yeah, it's the job market. Uh, it's not inflation. It's not economic growth. Uh, you know, they, they set a change in their mandate last August where they indicated that you know what they're going to give greater credence to is this level of full employment, that nothing helps household finances like having a job. And mm-hmm. that's really going to be what their focus is. And so they want to see the job market get back to something close to what it was pre-pandemic uh, before they think about raising interest rates. Needless to say, that's not going to be this year. It's probably not going to be next year either. That's still sometime down the road. So expect them to reinforce that message that low interest rates are going to continue to be in place uh, and, and you know sort of provide the runway for the economy and the labor market to continue to improve
0: that being said we keep hearing about those inflationary fears and yet of course for the longest time inflation has actually been under the two percent benchmark that the fed would consider healthy so it appears that there is some room for some inflationary pressure but i keep hearing these terms like runaway inflation being tossed about uh, again is that something that we should worry about not at
4: this point. And, and there, you know, I think, you know, for those of us of a certain age, inflation does sort of conjure images of, you know, that the double digit inflation of right. the 70s and the early 80s. Uh, but as you noted, uh, the, the Fed has been trying to get inflation to the 2% mark really ever since the financial crisis. And they haven't been able to do it yet. Uh, despite a decade long economic expansion, they couldn't get inflation to 2%. So we are going to see higher inflation here in the coming months, if nothing else, because last year price levels actually declined. So comparing to the the low bar of last year, it'll look like inflation's really picking up. But the reality of it is we're going to be well into the second half of this year before we can accurately assess whether or not uh, inflation... Is is more than just a flash in the pan, you know, and, and or is it uh, on a more sustainable path? Higher, it's going to be much later this year before we have you know any real determination on that.
0: You uh, were alluding earlier uh, to the uh, rise in the ten-year uh, Treasury yield. It's uh, increased uh, just in the past six, seven weeks by something like fifty percent. I mean, it's it's gone up quite dramatically. Um, is the is the Fed how concerned is the Fed? Uh, about this rise in those long-term interest rates explain why that is significant to joe average on the street
4: you know at this point it's that increase is a natural consequence of the better economic outlook you know last year the shoe was on the other foot those yields were plunging like a rock because the fortunes uh, for the economy were very very poor and inflation was expected to decline this year, it's the opposite, right? We're, we're in an economic recovery. The economy is expected to return to its pre-pandemic size this year, uh, and inflation is expected to be higher, not lower. So you're seeing a, a rebound in those long-term rates. And the impact that that has on the consumers, most notably on mortgage rates. I've mm-hmm. uh, seen mortgage rates bounce off of those record lows. They're up about half a percentage point from where they had been uh, at the start of the year. Uh, so at this point, the Fed is not overly concerned. They've said it has their attention. Uh, I think what they are concerned is do those yields continue to move up? And, you know, if it does, you know, does that represent a threat to the the rebound in the economy? That's what Mm -hmm. they want to avoid. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, they don't have to necessarily take action now to Mm -hmm. corral that, but merely hint that they're thinking about it. I think that'll be enough to uh, you know, prevent the further rise of those yields and, and maybe bring them back down for a
0: bit. Okay, because that was going to be my next question is, uh, if they're not concerned now, what would cause them to be concerned?
4: Yeah, if you started to see a meaningful drop-off in things like home sales, mortgage refinancing, uh, you know, if companies were more reluctant to tap the debt markets, um uh, that, that I think those are the type of things that, that would really uh warrant some action from the Fed. They don't you know, those they want low interest rates that are conducive to all that activity. Yeah. That gives a boost to the economy. If you start to see uh, you know, deterioration in those metrics, you know, that that's defeating the purpose. And I think at that point that's when you see them become uh, much more aggressive. To this point they've been a little laissez faire about it, uh, which is not um, helped how markets are perceiving it um, but they've been a little bit laissez-faire simply because you know the, the reason we've seen those yields go up is because the prospects for the economy uh, are looking brighter and brighter
0: so more of a perception issue on the street than a reality issue and what what, what would what could the fed do to you know corral uh, those rates and bring those rates back down if they do become concerned that they are getting too high
4: well, the one thing they've done in the past with some effectiveness, they did this back in 2011 and 2012, and that was uh, they, they shifted more of their bond purchases into the longer term bonds. It's not buying any more than you had been. It's just reallocating where you're doing your buying you mm. buy more long term bonds, not as many short term bonds. They did that back in 2011 and 2012. It worked. It helped bring those long term rates down. That I believe that step is something that I believe is an eventuality. But they don't even have to go that far at this point. If they just give an indication that they're thinking about doing that, yeah. I think that's enough to, to restrain uh, further increases for a while and maybe even bring those rates back a bit.
0: Okay, so uh, talking uh, about all of this and projecting out what we might hear this afternoon uh, from Jerome Powell at the conclusion of the meeting, what should consumers take away from all of this? What should they be listening for later this afternoon? What should we be doing with our finances in this current environment?
4: Well, we're coming into the time of year where most households are going to get one, if not two, pretty notable windfalls in the coming weeks between stimulus payments and tax refunds. And both of those really represent an opportunity to take a big stride forward in your financial journey, uh, stabilizing uh, your, your finances. Uh, for most people, that's going to mean boosting that emergency savings. Uh, fewer than 40% of households could cover an unplanned expense of $1,000 out of their savings. So that's going to be the first order of business uh, for, for most people when they get the, those, uh, those windfalls. Beyond that, pay off that high cost credit card debt. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, once you've checked both of those boxes, the emergency savings of paying off the credit card debt, look at making an investment uh, towards your future, Uh, make a contribution to your retirement account. You know, that too, uh, could be a very prudent use of that money helping, uh, you know, get you on a more stable uh, pathway toward financial security.
0: Bankrate.com chief financial analyst Greg McBride with us this morning ahead of uh, Jerome Powell poking his head out and giving us uh, his forecast, uh, the uh, Open Market Committee's forecast for the next uh, six weeks or so. Uh, Greg, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
4: Always a pleasure, Chris. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, the new normal in the workplace is the remote office. All indications are that even after the need to socially distance is over, many workers will opt in if given the choice to work from home at least part of the time. And that is accelerating the already growing trend of moving business networks to the cloud. But does this open up security risks? Larry Gordon is CEO of the global infrastructure solutions and operations company XOPS, Larry, obviously, the the answer is that, of course, it opens up security risks. Everything opens up security risks these days, but that doesn't necessarily mean companies should not do it, right?
5: That's correct. Uh, There's enormous productivity gains and employee satisfaction and other benefits from working remotely and moving workloads to the cloud.
0: So let's kind of uh, back up a little bit. Talk a little bit about when when we say cloud networks, uh, for those who are not Uh, really uh, IT savvy. Uh, What is that? Why would companies want to migrate to a cloud network? Cloud networks are
5: applications or apps that are hosted, that are living at Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud or Microsoft Azure. And it allows employees and consumers and people access that application anywhere anytime from any device
0: and as we said this was a trend even before the pandemic forced us all to our home offices Uh, again there are security risks either way but how much additional risk is there when you're talking about accessing a cloud network outside of a rigidly controlled environment in your office, in your workplace?
5: My data says that the new likelihood of experiencing a breach within the next two years is now 29.6%, up from 22.6%, so that's seven percentage points, um, a few years ago. So the likelihood of breaches is more frequent, and the average time to identify a breach is up 5% Five percent is expected to go up five percent. So that's um, that means there's more security risk.
0: That is a pr- uh, fairly significant jump between uh, basically one in four to almost one in three uh, who will be <clears> confronted <throat> uh, with this. So, what are companies doing, or what should uh, they be doing to mitig- mitigate uh, those risks, risks and secure? those networks as best they can.
6: So because
5: applications are running in the cloud, there's new ways of deploying applications. It's no longer just an application sitting on your laptop or no longer an application sitting in your company network. Mm -hmm. It's applications sitting in um, data centers owned by these large tech companies many many dozens of data centers per tech company globally so they're highly distributed
6: mm-hmm. so
5: what that means is applications get built differently um, the analogy I make Chris it might take a minute but it's it's called containerization the software is containerized much like in the 50s and 60s this trend started of containerizing goods shipped from overseas so instead of getting a bunch of bicycles loaded on a boat, you got many bicycles in boxes loaded in a container. And it was much easier to deal with the goods, um, throughout the supply chain. That was containerization of physical things. Software is now getting containerized and this trend has started about 10 years ago. Um, and it changes things. So because software is containerized, put in little boxes and moved, throughout these data centers in the cloud so that these applications can operate globally, that brought in the additional security risks. So the containerization, which makes it easier to build and deploy and less expensive and more stable, introduced some security risks because people would put the the, the software in those containers and sometimes those pieces of software presented security risks because a lot of it's open source, it's free, it's readily available. So the new way of doing security is to say, Hey, I'm going to attach a little tag, you know, in, in, in the art world, they call the certificate certifications of Providence. You know where the piece of artwork has come from, mm-hmm. you know where it's been the past few hundred years, you know, who's touched it. Same thing with software. It says, this is where it came from. This is who's touched it. It's okay, and that—that's the kind of work we've been doing. We attach little certificates, little probes into those containers to say the software in this container is safe. It's been updated. It's the latest version. Places where it can be breached have been plugged. So that's that's what's changed in the world of security. It's no longer just your. Your McAfee or your Avast sitting on your desktop or your mm-hmm. Barracuda systems, you know, sitting on your company server, not letting anyone in.
0: So that also uh, makes it a lot easier for uh, your IT department, your security people uh, to uh, at- attack or or to uh, maintain security because it's also important to emphasize that we're not talking about one and done uh, here. Like all aspects of security, uh, this requires regular maintenance and updates as the bad guys get more and more sophisticated. This uh, also allows the uh, tech people, the IT people, to maintain that security in a central location, even as people are accessing that data, those apps, from wherever they may be actually physically working, right?
5: Yes, you're spot on there, Chris. So because of what the cloud has done to software engineering, it's changed how software is built and deployed. So before, you used to have development teams. They're sort of like artists. They build applications. They build beautiful applications, applications that work, but they leave it to someone else. To put it on big servers to actually run it so people can use it and there was a separation between those two groups one was very much engineers hey let's make it run and the other was wow let's build this this is going to make us a lot of money isn't it beautiful both important aspects of building applications and software engineering but with the cloud in the advent of continuous software development and continuous improvement and continuous security Mm -hmm. that you just talked about, a new field arose, it's called DevOps or application reliability engineering or site reliability engineering. These are engineers that straddle those two worlds of deployment and infrastructure and application development. They're full stack engineers. They can build the application They can deploy the application. They work with those two teams to say, hey, let's make sure this is, one, beautiful and efficient, and two, can be deployed and run. So it's increasingly falling upon that group, the DevOps engineers, to assure security because they're the one managing these containers. And so the role of a DevOps engineer has become increasingly DevSecOps. Development, operations,
0: security. Security. Uh, and again, uh, just becomes even more important as we work from so many different places. The less we are uh, in one centralized spot uh, working uh, for a company. Uh, the, the more uh, all of this becomes relevant. And by the way, uh, also should mention, this is different than, and, and the reason we bring this all up is get people uh, starting to think about this uh, in considering their long-term future of what their uh, workplace looks like. You know, if it's something that they have not considered in the past. So start to, to think about this. And this is different than the risks that we have talked about in the past uh, of bring your own device onto the company network, Right. Correct.
5: It's different than bring your own device because I think how people thought about the danger there was endpoint security. Oh, that's his own phone. God knows what he's doing with it, you know, otherwise. Yeah. And, oh, it's your own laptop. This is um, the infrastructure that the company has paid for and bought and built and doesn't make a threat just. To that person and their endpoint, Mm -hmm. it's company wide. That's why you can have very extensive
0: breaches. So so you're thinking about it rather from the outside in, the inside out, sort of is another way of of looking at it. Yes. Um, Yes. Now, if folks want to learn more uh, about uh, all of this, a cloud network uh, development and security, uh, this is what your company does. You've got a lot more information on this on your website, right?
5: That's correct, and, and our website is www.xops.it, and from there you can get to the articles we publish in DZone, d-z-o-n-e.com, independent publication. They do a terrific job of explaining this to people at all levels.
0: Uh, Really uh, good information again as we consider what the uh, new normal looks like in the workplace moving forward, even after all of this is over. Again, Larry Gordon, CEO of uh, XOPS, with us this morning. Larry, thanks very much for the info. We appreciate it.
5: You're very welcome, Chris. Always a pleasure speaking with you and your audience.
0: And now to our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning. Jesus tells us in the Bible to go and make disciples of all nations. It is called the Great Commission. Many Christians familiar with the concept, but when was the last time you actually had that conversation with another person? Uh, It's a lot easier said than done in the real world these days, but what's interesting is new research finds that it's not for a lack of desire on the part of Christians to share the good news. It's just not knowing how to start the conversation. Correspondent John Clemens reports this morning, Keeping the Faith.
2: The father and son duo of Jordan and Ernest Easley point out the results of a Lifeway research study that a majority of churchgoers said they pray for opportunities to tell others about Christ at least once a week. But less than half of those churchgoers had actually done so in the past six months. Jordan Easley tells us about the book Resuscitating Evangelism.
3: People are still coming to faith in Christ. I mean, the church is still alive and well. The purpose of this book isn't to insult the state of the church. It's just really to recognize the fact that our current trajectory is not on the rise, but it is on decline. Chapter one of this book is actually entitled Checking Our Pulse. And what that is, it's just as if the church is on the emergency room table and you're checking the pulse and checking the vitals of the church, what you'll discover is the church is seeing people come to know Christ, but just at a slower rate than we have in years past.
2: Easley writes in Resuscitating Evangelism about one of the problems for believers.
3: I think the first step in, in seeing progress is recognizing that you have a problem. And I believe right now that we we have a problem when it comes to evangelism, not necessarily from the pastors and, and the pulpits and the platforms, but really in the people, the people leading other people to Christ. I think if you go up to the average church member and ask them the question, When was the last time you personally led someone to faith in Jesus Christ? The majority of those people will look at you with a blank stare.
2: Christ gave every one of us a job to do before he left.
3: God doesn't put the responsibility on us, but he does tell us as believers that our job is to be fishing for people and equipping people for the work of ministry. And this book is just that. It's recognizing the fact as the reader that I have a responsibility in sharing my faith. I have a responsibility to tell people and to share with people around me, and I also believe that this book is an equipping tool that pastors and church leaders can use to equip their people in personal evangelism so that they can be more obedient into what Jesus has commanded them to do.
2: Resuscitating Evangelism is a book that will dispel the misconception of reaching others for Christ.
3: A lot of times we think of evangelism or the success of evangelism as you either lead them to Christ and be successful or they shut you down and you're not successful. But I believe the Bible says something completely different. I believe the Bible says when we sow seeds of evangelism, we're successful 100% of the time. No matter what the response may be, if we are obedient to sow the seed, I believe that that puts a smile on the face of God. The results of that conversation are not up to us. We don't have the ability to save anybody.
2: We should be excited to tell others about Christ. The facts are, we are all inadequate. None of us
3: are worthy of the message we have been commanded to share. But I believe that God blesses that humility. It's one thing to say, you know, I did this or I did that. But when we share the gospel and when we share our salvation story, all we're doing is bragging on what the Lord has done in our life. And so it's out of that feeling of inadequacy that we can really put the spotlight on Jesus.
2: Jordan Easley tells us about his prayer for the book, Resuscitating Evangelism.
3: The book is entitled Resuscitating Evangelism. We're trying to put a picture in the mind of the reader that talks about this idea of evangelism and bringing people to faith in Christ and sharing the gospel and how that has been primary and the focus of churches across our country and really across our world for a very, very long time. We are praying that God would do something in and through our heart to resuscitate this idea of evangelism. God has called us to be on mission and to live a life where we're sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with the
2: people that we encounter. Inviting someone to church or for a time of worship is the ideal opportunity. To become a fisher of men
3: we believe personal evangelism is inviting people to church or bringing someone to sunday school when jesus very clearly told us that our job is to be fishers of men we're the ones that are supposed to be throwing out the net we're the ones that are supposed to be the hands and feet of christ and most church people i'm talking about christian people in churches today would probably admit that they fall short in the area of personal evangelism so when it comes to checking our pulse I believe that's the idea of just recognizing where we are so that we can move forward in obedience and faith.
2: Here's how to get in touch with Jordan Easley, co-author of the book Resuscitating Evangelism.
3: You can find this book, Resuscitating Evangelism, really anywhere books are sold. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, Resuscitating Evangelism has its own Twitter handle. You can find me at Jordan Easley, and uh, my dad is also the co-author. You can find either one of us through the First Baptist Cleveland website at firstbaptistcleveland.com.
2: This is John Clemens
0: reporting. By the way, that's First Baptist Church of Cleveland, Tennessee, not Cleveland, Ohio, just in case you're curious. But I love the title of the book, Resuscitating Evangelism, Helping Christians Fulfill the Great Commission. We've got the link up at our webpage, goodmornings.net, keeping the faith this morning.
1: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
0: This uh, update of the odd and unusual side of the news is brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You know, it is uh, St. Patrick's Day, big drinking holiday, but you drink too much, you can get yourself into some trouble, into some precarious situations. Here is a case in point. The Enid Police Department, Enid, Oklahoma, posted on social media about a man that they found and had to help out. On Monday morning, he was found inside a garbage truck at at a McDonald's parking lot. He was found inside the garbage truck, uh, and he had had a few too many. He told police he climbed the ladder on the side of the truck and jumped in. Refused to tell officers his name or why he did such a crazy thing. They had to uh, use a ladder to rescue him. He was arrested once he made it out safely. So I'm guessing they found out his name, but it wasn't given in the report. He faces charges of public intoxication, among other things. So just just a word to the wise <laughs> before you go and tie one on this evening for St. Patty's Day. Elsewhere in the broken news, have you heard about this story uh, out of... Pensacola, Florida, 17-year-old girl and her mother were both arrested on Monday after investigators uncovered their alleged plot to tamper with the homecoming court election at Tate High School so that the daughter could win the title of homecoming queen last fall. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement says it opened an investigation in November after officials with the Escambia County School District Reported that hundreds of student accounts had been accessed without authorization. Investigators allege that 50 year old Rose Carroll um, used her school credentials. She was the assistant principal at the school, at uh, the elementary school in the uh, district. She's the assistant principal at the elementary school, hacked into student accounts to cast. Homecoming queen votes for her daughter, Emily. It apparently worked, at least for the time being. She won the title of homecoming queen, but people started to get a little suspicious. And upon further examination, they discovered the hacked accounts. The uh, pair were charged with... um, uh, with the offense uh, offense against uter- users of computer computer systems computer networks and electronic devices the unlawful use of a two-way communication device criminal use of personally identified information and conspiracy to commit the aforementioned offenses so they are in all kinds of trouble all because she wanted her daughter to be homecoming queen you gotta be kidding me that's And she was an assistant principal at the school. I would guess she no longer is. Report doesn't say that, but I'm thinking that's a pretty safe guess. Torpedoed her career over the whole thing. Wow. Police in Englewood, New Jersey, say a uh, young woman was babysitting a child on Friday night when a couple broke into the home... And help themselves to food, drink, and even showered before fleeing in the homeowner's SUV. This is all while the babysitter is there with the kids. Police say Alex Yakeley and Amanda Lentz had been in the home for some time, with some of their escapades even caught on surveillance video. The security system in the home they were <coughs> excuse me they were caught after a brief chase in uh, the stolen vehicle. With jewelry, a wallet, clothing, and a backpack, uh, and the only reason they were caught was because the iPhone in the backpack that they also stole was tracking their location. Uh, police are asking anyone who saw the couple or has additional surveillance video of them to uh, contact them. How big was the house? They were able to get in, you know, help themselves to food, take a shower, steal all this stuff, and steal the vehicle while while the babysitter was there how big is that house i don't know crazy story elsewhere in the uh, broken news a florida woman facing charges for assaulting assaulting her ex-boyfriend police in coral springs say 22-year-old beth bruna attacked her ex with a hammer before smashing up his car and smearing barbecue sauce on it. (laughs) She went all out. The uh, man told uh, officers that Ms. Bruna got angry when he came to return her stuff after their breakup. Uh, Ms. Bruna was taken in on charges of aggravated battery using a deadly weapon and criminal mischief. Uh, by the way, the ex-boyfriend is going to be fine. He uh, apparently had a cut above his eye, but he's going to be uh, just fine. I can't imagine why in the world he would have wanted to break up with her. <laughs> it seems like such a stable relationship, you know? Can't imagine that. And uh, finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, police in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin say officers responded yesterday to an uh, art museum in Door County where a Jeep had crashed into the building. The vic- uh, vehicle's owner told police he had parked it at a gas station across the road while he went to the Sunflower Bakery. And when he returned, he saw the vehicle had crashed into the museum. He said his five-year-old Australian shepherd, Callie, had apparently knocked the shifter out of park and rolled the vehicle into the building. <laughs> the museum posted about the incident on Facebook, saying it's not every day the dog drives a jeep across ta- traffic and right into your business. Police say no one was injured in the crash, but the dog had its uh, driving privileges suspended indefinitely. There you go. That is today's Broken News Report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly
2: scheduled programming. You can help recognize outstanding teachers in Findlay and Hancock County. Nominate a current teacher who made a difference in your life for the Findlay Rotary Club's Golden Apple Awards. Place your nomination online at FindlayRotary.org. Nomination deadline is April 2nd. Please promote the work, dedication, and achievements of all teachers by nominating an excellent teacher for the Golden Apple Awards. This message provided by WFIN.
0: Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, Who are the world's most forgiving people? And who is most likely to hold a grudge? Uh, Well, it turns out... A new survey of 8,000 people worldwide finds that Americans are the most willing to forgive and those in the UK the most likely to hold a grudge. (laughs) Only 26% of Americans say that they would never trust a person or business again after being let down or wronged by them. While 42% of people in the UK felt that way. Germans were the next next most likely to forgive after Americans, uh, followed by people in China, Canada, France, and Spain. Uh, and then of course, the UK the least likely to forgive, most likely to hold a grudge. Chinese people overwhelmingly consider themselves to be the most trustworthy, while Americans were most likely to admit, being less than genuine sometimes, most likely to admit it. When asked which organizations in general they consider to be the most trustworthy, coming in first with respondents at 23%, banks and financial institutions, the most trustworthy institutions, and that's globally. It's uh, followed by nonprofit organizations, 21%, and restaurants at 17%. Well, spring is right around the corner, and we're ready to get to it, to be sure. And joining us this morning with what you need for a spring refresh is lifestyle contributor Tara Wellington. Tara, thanks very much for joining us. Happy spring a few days early.
7: Happy spring, yes. Uh, It's a great time of year.
0: Uh, So what are you seeing in in terms of how people are uh, refreshing their wellness routines uh, this spring? Boy, do we need a refresh now.
7: We absolutely need a refresh, yes. And I'm here on behalf of several companies that I'll talk about today. And... One thing the majority of us are looking for, of course, is a boost of happiness and health. And recent studies say about 50% of us have experienced anxiety and depression over this past year, which is no surprise. Um, But the good news is that your wellness routine, like your good sleep and regular exercise, can really help. So one fun and meaningful way to help you with your wellness is with Amazon's Alexa On Alexa enabled devices like Echo Show 10 and it's a great motivator for making it easy to stay on top of your health and wellness. You can say, Alexa, what is my wellness tip of the day or Alexa recommend a health and wellness podcast. Um, Alexa can give you guided meditations, play sleep sounds, suggest workouts and recipes and so much more.
0: It is uh, very true, as you were alluding to earlier, you know, every year when spring comes around, we need that sort of refresh. But this year, especially after everything that has happened in 2020, uh, we need it more than ever. Uh, This is another one of those things that we always uh, like to talk about uh, this time of year, and that is healthy eating and nutrition as we move into the spring season.
7: Yes. So three quick tips for you. The first one is bump up your veggie content in your diet. And a quick and easy way to do that is with pre-cut veggies that you can put in the fridge and you can just grab and go. Also look into getting your omega-3s. 70% of Americans have low levels of those essential omega-3s, which actually give you immune support. Um, They help your brain, your heart, your joints, your eyes, your skin health. Uh, To help with this, I like Cori Pure Antarctic Krill Oil because it delivers those omega-3s in their natural phospholipid form and essentially what that means is that it gives you excellent absorption compared to fish oil and it has no fishy aftertaste plus it's certified sustainable and then for your kids, Childlife Essentials, and it's Live Biotics, Immune and Digestive Support, and Zinc Plus. These are vitamins and supplements that have been around for 20 years and can help close the nutritional gap for your kids. Uh, parents will want to know that these are gluten-free, non-GMO, and no artificial colors, flavors or sweeteners. They're great tasting with natural ingredients. You can find them at Amazon Sprouts and Whole Foods.
0: All right. Again, uh, very important to underscore that we're not just talking about ourselves. We're talking about the entire family including the kids here and uh, again circling back to the fact that it has been a very stressful year the past 12 months what uh, personal care tips do you have for folks as we head into the season of renewal
7: Yes, yeah, so one tip to remember is to take care of your skin. It's part of a healthy lifestyle and what you can look into is Omni Skin Care. They are from the UK and they just now exclusively launched in Target. It was developed by a mother for her daughter to meet the changing needs of young skin and I love how this is so unique because it's affordable. It's uh, vegan and cruelty free and they have three lines depending on your skin type with natural ingredients and gentle enough for everyday use and the biograde Degradable wipe, biodegrade in 15 days, which is huge for sustainability.
0: Again, wellness and lifestyle expert Tara Wellington with some of her favorite products and tips. What you need for a healthy spring refresh, Tara? Where do we get more information?
7: You can uh, go to SimpleMomsGuide.com and I have some additional tips there on. Uh, exercise for the spring, including getting
0: outdoors, and what you can do indoors as well. And there you go. Uh, Let's—we've had enough indoors time. Let's get outdoors. Let's do that. Uh, Tara, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. And that will put a wraps on our podcast for today. Again, thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information on all of the topics that we talk about each day on the program at our webpage, goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. You can also connect with us on social media, Uh, sign up for our daily email newsletter and more, bookmark that page and check back every day, goodmornings.net. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.